Thanks for coming this morning. Shut that there so I can see it. Well, my name is Tanya Woods, and um, before I tell you about what I do and why I do what I do and how much I absolutely love what I do, um, I want to give you a little bit of background information on me, um, just a little bit, to kind of tell you how I got into this ministry and how much it means to me. But uh, my name's Tanya Woods, like I said. Um, I'm a wife. I've been married to Greg for 35 years. Uh, Greg is the guy that gives the tours here. So if you've taken one of the historical tours, he's actually doing one tonight if the rain doesn't come back. So um, if you haven't taken a little historical tour, take the tour. It's kind of fun. So um, next, in a couple weeks, will be 35 years for us. We have three boys, and uh, Daniel, Nick, and Brennan. And they, they came here to camp. Daniel did not actually come here to camp as a camper. Um, <clears throat> he was never a church camp kid, but he was always on the premises, hanging around with their grandkids, <laughs> with the Johnson kids. Um, but my youngest two grew up in a youth program, came here uh, for years. We've been coming since Brennan was two, when he's 25. And I think that this is Brennan's, my youngest one, I think this is his, um, oh, I forgot to forward this. This is going to be a problem. I'm not going to remember to do this. I can just tell. That's my husband and I. And there's the fam. Um, so my youngest is currently in a youth, uh, working with the youth program now, he and his wife. We have one grand, uh, granddaughter who's eight and, and four grandsons and two more uh, grandchildren, we don't know what they are yet, due in December. So we're all, we're all pumped about that. So we've been, uh, Camp Psyker has been part of our life for a long time, 23 years. Um, I think a lot of uh, our love for missions as a family, was rooted and began here at Camp Psyker. And, um, and we do as a family. We love missions. We love mission work. And we love missionaries. Um, this was always one of my favorite days at Camp Psyker. So over the years, as my children were growing up, we, uh, I just tried to expose them as much as I could to short-term mission trips. And um, I went on a lot of short-term mission trips with them. And then I, and there were a lot of trips I didn't go with them. But I, I, we read, um, you know, my kids grew up on Voice of the Martyr magazine. And my youngest one was finally like, Mom, I hate this magazine. Everybody dies. <laughs> but, you know, I'm like, Voice of the Martyr. But... Um, you know, they, they were exposed to those things. And, you know, Fox's Book of the Martyrs, that was, I figured out that's not the best thing, you know, for a bedtime story. But, but they read things like that. We love things like that, uh, books like that. Uh, you know, some of the great Hudson Taylor, um, uh, Amy Carmichael, you know, we read a lot of bios and things like that. And, and I think the Lord way back then was instilling, again, a love for for um, just evangelism in our hearts. And uh, today, uh, two of my kids, um, one currently works full-time in missions in Louisville. He, he works with refugees and reaches out to Muslims in particular. Um, they do have a few Hindus where they live too, but he lives with the refugees and he and his family work with them. Love it. My oldest one does, uh, is not full-time mission work, but does a lot with uh, a group called Trash Mountain Project. And so, you know, he, they all, and all of us, like I said, missionaries just hold a really dear place in our hearts. So um, a few years ago, I, I don't know how the Lord speaks to you. I mean, I know he speaks through his word, obviously. That's the most prominent way I believe that he speaks to us is through his written word. 
but he also nudges us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will nudge us in particular ways. Like, you know, maybe we're in a store and we just have this urgency like, you have got to talk to that person. And I'm like, you know, you just feel that. And he did that with me with the issue of human trafficking. It seemed like everywhere I turned, this was like in 2010 and 11, everywhere I looked, there was a billboard with, you know, some statistic on it. There was um, a, a social media article there was a documentary on PBS. Some everywhere I turned for a year. It's like, okay, okay. You know, what, what do you want me to do about this issue? And I just felt that he was calling me to do something, but I didn't know what. So I started researching human trafficking and finding out. I mean, I heard of it before. Must have had heard of human trafficking, but I did not really understand the degree of um, just how horrible human trafficking is, sex trafficking and, and human trafficking. So I started taking notes, started, like I said, researching, and what I found was devastating. And, and not just devastating, but it was overwhelming. And I remember crying out to God, what can I do? I'm a mom in Mount Vernon, Ohio. Really? What am I going to do about this global atrocity? What can I do? And you know that little poem? It came out years ago um, about the starfish. You know, if you throw one, I forget the whole story, but the guy's walking on the beach. And I used to think, well, that's a goofy story. No, my husband and I went to the beach not too many years, right around this time, 2010. And no kidding, the beach was, it was James Island in South Carolina, loaded with starfish. And that little poem popped back into my head. And as we walked along the beach, I literally was throwing. They were alive, but they were going to die. I, I was throwing them back in, and I was like, all right, God, you know, you're, I, it does, even if one person hears, gets to hear the gospel and is saved or, or rescued from their trafficking situation, this is, it's worth it, even for one person. So um, God, I won't go into all the detail about this, but you all know, you're, you all walk with the Lord, I'm sure, so you all know how the Lord will open doors that only things will happen that only the Lord could orchestrate. And through a series of events that the Lord orchestrated that I could not have done on my own, he allowed me to go um, on my first mission trip around the world. And I went to Southeast Asia. So I, uh, I, before I went on that trip, I connected with a man in Worcester, Ohio named David Atkins. And he had just recently started a ministry called Sending Hope International. And um, he'd started like the year before I went. And, and so through the Lord opening doors, I was, I was um, able to go on this mission trip. And it wasn't like I woke up one day and said, you know, hey, Lord, I really, I've got to get to Southeast Asia. That wasn't a place I thought I'd go. But just like the Lord, he made it, he made it happen. So this is a picture of me on my little flight. Um, it's like a, it depends on which route you go. But, I mean, it's about a 30-hour flight, you know, by, by time, with your layovers and everything. It's a long, it's a long flight. Um, but it's very worth it. There's some of the girls after I arrived at Sending Hope, and we're located in Thailand. Um, right now we have orphan homes in Thailand and in Cambodia, and um, we'll eventually have, um, we have some land in Brazil, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. So after I came back from my first trip in 2012, uh, our Dave Atkins asked me if I would be interested in working with him. And, and I jumped on it. You know, I've done a lot of things in my life. I've been a wife and a mom. I am a wife and a mom. And I've been a nurse for years. I've worked in all different kinds of nursing. Nothing, nothing gives me as much 
satisfaction and joy. And, and like I told my husband, I have found my niche. This is it. I, and I, loved all the, I love all those other things. And I love nursing and things like that. Love being a mom. But this is where I'm supposed to be. I have no doubt. So what I do for Ascending Hope International is I take care of all the sponsorships. We have girls, and I'll go into detail in a minute about that. But we have young girls um, that, that we rescue, actually, before they are trafficked. And we work with girl, Hill Tribe girls. So if you know anything about um, Thailand or Cambodia, there are multiple Hill Tribes um, in the area. And the Hill Tribe people have basically zero rights. They are lower than dogs. They, they don't vote. They don't get an education. They're not even citizens in some parts of the country. So they're very um, neglected, I guess, and um, often under, undereducated. And so what we do is we don't, we don't personally go in and rescue these kids, but we have um, contacts who, who bring the kids out of the villages or on occasion um, a grandparent who is raising 10 kids and can't feed one more, they will contact us and then we will bring the children to the orphan home. Um, these are some of our kids here. You really can't see the picture, but it says Sending Hope International and it says something in Thai. I'm not sure what it says in Thai. <laughs> um, but we currently have two orphan homes in Thailand. And when I first started in 2012, we had five little girls. And those five little girls are actually still there. Um, they're growing up. And now we have 40. So I'm thrilled about that. Um, we have two orphan homes on the premises. It's a 10-acre property in Thailand. And in Cambodia, which we just opened up um, this past January, we've had the property for a while, but just you know, by the time you get everything built and funded, um, we have six little girls currently in Thailand. I'm sorry, in, in Cambodia. Uh, the girls' ages are two to 17, um, two being our youngest. We were not going to take children quite that young at first, but a mom came to um, us in Cambodia, and she had a two-year-old and a three-year-old, little girls, and she said, I, I don't want to do with I can't feed them. I cannot feed these children, and so they're at great risk for being left on the street or sold, um, and so uh, it didn't really take... It didn't take anything for us to decide. Absolutely, they're coming with us. So we have uh, now our youngest two-year-old. So in these homes, we provide uh, all the basic needs for the girls. Food, food clothing, um, a warm place to live, a safe place to live. Um, if any of the girls have medical needs, we provide everything for them, schooling and everything. But the biggest and most important um, aspect of our ministry is Every girl that comes to, to Sending Hope has an opportunity to meet Jesus. Um, where our director is, I want to say, and this is in a good way, obsessed with discipleship. I mean, obsessed with it. So we disciple our girls. It's amazing to watch these little kids and listen to them and, and hear the verses that they learn. And it's not just that they're learning them. They're actually, they're actually applying these verses. They're going out into their own communities, into their villages, and they are now um, witnessing and sharing with the people in their villages. So it's really cool. Um, a typical day in the life of our girls um, starts with praise and worship. They wake up in the morning, they start with praise and worship, then they go to school. And our girls in Thailand go to school right down the road from them. I've been to their school, and it's 
just a little walk. Um, they actually go to public school, and then they come home, they do homework, they do chores. I don't have a lot of pictures of our property. Um, I didn't figure that they would show up that well in the, in the daylight, so I didn't put a lot of pictures of the property on there, but our property is impeccable. It's just, it's so beautiful looking. It's kept, it's really kept up nicely, and the girls do that. So they take a, you know, we, they value the property because they put into taking care of it. So they're learning to do chores and things like that. They all take um, turns doing the laundry and helping cook and kind of similar to what our youth program does here as far as um, teams and cooking and things like that. Um, worship, if you want to play that video, Amanda, um, of the kids worshiping, um, worshiping with these kids is amazing. They, like all children, are uninhibited. They, yeah. Actually, yeah, isn't that beautiful? Oh, there we go again. They're actually, um, they were actually really quiet in that video. Typically, they're dancing, and I should have put one of, put one of those up. Um, yeah, they're just, it's, it's amazing to experience. If you've ever been on a mission trip or been in a foreign country and got to worship, you know, with uh, foreigners, they, I don't know, I just, they really know how to worship uninhibited. And they just really, um, not, that, not that we don't praise, we do, but they're just totally uninhibited. It's fun to watch and really fun to participate in. Um, our home in Thailand is located um, in, uh-oh, whoops. I'm looking for the map, Amanda. There we go. Oh, you can't see it. Well, you have to <laughs> Google it because <laughs> you can't see it. But anyway, Thailand is kind of long and narrow, and um, our orphan home in Thailand is located in the northern part of, Thai of Thailand, um, about an hour and a half to two hours south of a, of a town called Chiang Mai, if you're familiar with Thailand at all. Um, and, and then we're two hours from the western border of what used to be called Burma, and which is now called Myanmar, I think I'm saying that right, and then we're about two hours from Laos, and then down below a little bit is Cambodia. So um, it's a beautiful area. If you've ever seen pictures of Vietnam, 
Uh, it looks a lot like Vietnam, and uh, it's just it's very, very pretty. Our Cambodian home is located in a, in a town called Batambang, which is a little bit north of Phnom Penh. So, you know, you might be thinking, because I used to think this, uh, aren't there kids in America to help? You know, aren't there enough people here that need Christ? Yeah, there are. There really are. There's lots, there's thousands of children in America that need help. And if you're helping those kids, don't stop. You know, keep helping and reaching out and preaching the gospel to those kids. We should be helping kids in America. But, you know, as a nation, as far as maybe we've come away from our foundational Christian principles, and we see that happening, you know, today, we're still... There, we still have access to church, churches. Most people have access to Christian radio, uh, maybe even Christian publications and Bibles. Often in these countries, other foreign countries, people don't have that access. It's just not available. Um, so, you know, if you're, like I said, if you're in a ministry here, that's, do it. Keep on doing what you're doing. Um, sorry, I've got a bug or something in my shirt. That's special. It's an ant, <laughs> I hope. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> okay, so in, in Thailand and Cambodia, less than 2% of the population, or around 2% of the population is Christian, so there aren't a lot of Christians in those countries. This is a, a Buddhist temple. Um, in, in Thailand, you have about 95% of the country um, that is involved with the Buddhist religion, and about 93% in Cambodia. These people need Jesus. You know, they need Jesus. And it's our desire at Sending Hope International to not only rescue these little girls who are at risk and disciple them, but our desire is that then they will go back out into their country and preach the gospel. And, and, the, and they're doing that as little children. They, they, have little, they have a little praise band in Thailand, and they go around to the villages, and they share a message, and they sing, and they teach these people about Jesus. And that's just completely our desire. Um, you know, we know, we were taught that God is good. And you, we all know that little song, God is so good. Okay, uh, he's so good to me. But how, how will these kids in, in other countries and even in America, how will they know that God is good unless we tell them God is good? Uh, these little girls in Asia will never know. They will only ever know about Buddhism, and, uh, and which is obviously um, a false religion. They have no hope unless they're told, and, unless, unless the gospel is shared with them. So all I know is that several years ago, God placed this desire in my heart to do something. I didn't know what. You know, I, I volunteered at the pregnancy center in town, and that's all good. That is good. There's nothing wrong with those things. But he laid on my heart to do something a little different and to step out of my comfort zone and to, you know, I was a hospice nurse for years, and that's all good, but this is great because I know I'm in his will right now. This is what he wants me to do. So whatever it is he's called you to do, whatever it is, um, if, as long as you're in his will, do it. So we don't have to go to a third world country to be a missionary. Um, we don't even have to leave our neighborhood to be a missionary. You know, we are called um, Matthew 28. Everybody knows. Everyone's familiar with Matthew 28. But verse 18 says, Then Jesus, Jesus said to them, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. From who? From God. From God. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I command. So it's it's, it's sending hope international. We take this very, very serious. It's not an option for us as believers. It's a command. So whether we're at Kroger's and, and, uh, you know, the Lord lays it on our heart to share Christ with the checkout person or at Walmart, (laughs) wherever we're at, it doesn't matter. We are to share uh, the gospel. So our primary desire for our girls at Sending Hope is that they would be taught daily that they were created for such a time as this and that they were not an accident and that God has given them a purpose to fulfill this side of eternity. So how do you teach that? Oh, that's, that's the inside of a Buddhist temple. It's really dark. You can't tell really what it looks like, but it's very decorated and ornate, a lot of gold, um, a lot of things. So how do you teach that to a little girl that was sold into servanthood for $75 when she was three months old? There's not a price tag um, on the value of her life. And how do you teach her that she is a precious child of the king? This is so funny or so funny. Um, And that's how her life started. She was sold by her mother to a family that already had 10 children. And at the age of five, she is 15 years old now. And you can't, I, I wish the picture was more clear. Um, but she has the most hopeless look. Like the first time I saw the picture, I just wept. She's our first girl that we just got in Cambodia in February. She has the most hopeless look on her face. Number one, she was sick. She had typhoid fever. So she wasn't feeling well. But her life was hopeless. Um, so we brought her in. Uh, she, what happened was she was chained to a tree for four days by her adoptive parents. She had lived with them since three months of age. That's all she knew. They had 10 other kids. Um, At the age of five, they begin using her as kind of like a farmhand or a maid, a servant. We don't know um, to this day. We don't know what else they used her for. But for sure, she was used like um, a, a maid. You know, at the age of five, she started doing those things. So, um, she was chained to this tree for four days, given bre- or, uh, rice and water to eat. She was very malnourished, even before then, but then after the four days, obviously very malnourished. She went back to her home after her adoptive parents brought her back home, and, and she ran away. She ran to the village um, where she lived nearby, and it's some kind of a ama- it was told of the Lord because as a, as a whole, uh, the authorities in these areas are fairly corrupt, for the most, not everyone, but for the most part, from what we've dealt with, well, the authorities, police, got a hold of her somehow, I'm not sure how, and contacted um, our orphan home in, in Cambodia. And of course, we took her. Um, I don't have a picture of her, well, I do, but I didn't pull it up, I should have, but I've got some pictures of her um, singing and dancing, and the picture on the left was the day she arrived. And again, you can't see the desperation in her face. The picture on the right is like two weeks later. She's got a smile on her face. Um, there's just that, that look in her eyes, that hopelessness. It's not there. It's, it's gone in that short amount of time. She had been loved on. You know, Christ had been shared with her. And just through Christ, these, they are, we, we call them nannies, had just loved on her. 
and she's starting to bloom and blossom. She wants to be a teacher when she grows up. And this second little girl is Esther. Esther is up here on my poster. Um, Esther's been with us for ye several years. She's 11 years old now. Uh -oh. She's 11 years old now. Um, she says that her name is beautiful, like the, like the queen in the Bible. And she is, she is beautiful. But she lived with her grandparents because her mom had died at birth. And for some reason, her father decided to leave the family and become a monk. So she was being raised by her grandparents, and then they passed away. So in, in situations like this, in countries like this, children's services is non-existent. The government doesn't do a lot to help people, the people as a whole. So um, she was homeless, and I don't know how, I'm not sure the background story as far as how she came to Sending Hope, but she was brought to Sending Hope by someone, and, and this is what she says. She says, when I'm thinking of my life, I want to thank God so much. This is, she's 11. I want to thank God so much because he has a great plan for me. He brings me to Sending Hope, and he gives me a new life and new hope. I have friends that love me, and I love to study his word. When I grow up, I want to be a servant of God. I want to tell others about, about my great God who loves me so much. I pray every day that God will help my dad to become a Christian. Isn't that, and that's cool. She's 11. There's not a, I don't know. I mean, there's 11-year-olds here that do that. But, you know, this, that's just, I think that's neat. So our main objective at Sending Hope is not um, just to feed and clothe and give a warm home and a safe home to orphans, because there's a lot of humanitarian groups that do that. Obviously, our main objective is to share the gospel with these children, to give them a heart, to teach them um, the word of God so that they will develop a heart for Christ. We don't want to take, uh, we don't want well taken care of orphans going to hell. We want well taken care of orphans in heaven with us. So a big, another big part of our ministry at Sending Hope, besides the obvious, providing a home and uh, the things I mentioned, is once a year, we have what's called Trail to Life Camp. And if any of you are from the Worcester area, I don't know, um, there was a camp in the seven, 60s and 70s called Trail to Life Camp in Worcester, Ohio. And our director went to that camp, participated in that camp, and ended up working at that camp. Our director has... Um, developed a camp for the kids in Thailand. And so once a year in April, we do a Trail to Life church camp. We have about 100 kids that we gather from the villages, girls and boys. Our, our orphan homes are only girls at this point, but when we do the camp once a year, we have a pickup and we make 1,500 trips into the villages. And, you know, you know, if you've been to a third world country, you know there's no limit on how many people you can fit in a pickup or on a scooter. I, seven was the most I ever saw, but I'm sure there's more than you know, babies everywhere. And anyway, um, so we load them up and bring them into the camp. And for a lot of the kids, this is number one, the first time they've heard about Jesus ever. And, and obviously, it's the first time they've ever done a camp. So it's, it's a typical church camp like what we have here. The kids do crafts. Um, you know, they hear a message, they do skits, they make a flag, they're in teams. They love it. They don't want to leave. I remember the first time, in 2012, my first year there, um, the one little girl came in. Well, I saw this several times, but one little girl I talked to in particular with like a Walmart sack. And I'm like, oh, she must have bought a snack. No, that was her belongings for the week. 
So, of course, we had to find clothes uh, for her, and we did a lot of washing clothes every day for the kids because they just don't have, uh, they just don't have anything material-wise. This is um, a group of boys um, enjoying the camp. It's always, have, it's always kind of fun. It changes the whole dynamics when you add boys to the group. <laughs> They're stinky, and they like to get dirty. And, but our camp is a combination of a boy, like Boy Scout camp and, and church camp. So they do a lot of hands-on. They're teaching. I teach, um, I teach first aid, and it's kind of neat because um, when I haven't been able to go back for the camp and I see pictures, uh, they're, they're, still, they're still learning, like, the Heimlich maneuver. You know, they, they're still teaching that. And my first year I went, I got these little recessiannies, um, which is to practice. Okay, they're little travel recessiannies. Um, it's a head and a pair of lungs, and they're creepy. They're super creepy. And the kids were terrified of them. They were really scared of them. And so I had to, like, hug Recessiani and show the kids, like, it's okay. They're, they're not real. And, and so I taught the kids really basic CPR, but there are not, there's no 911 here. Um, I don't even know where the closest hospital. I've not visited a hospital in Thailand. I did in, Cam, in Cambodia, and I, I really wouldn't want to go there ever, um, the one I, that I did visit. But... Uh, there, there, is not, there are not medical facilities close by. So I taught the children what to do if there's a burn, if someone's choking, and some really basic CPR um, or basic first aid issues. We do Bible quizzing with the kids. They learn a tremendous amount of Bible verses. And we also, uh, they have great food during the camp week. You can't see this in full, but my first year there in 2012, I've been there three times to camp... Uh, Thailand, twice to Cambodia. And I just went to Vietnam, too, in November, but that's another whole story for another project. But um, anyway, we built that um, big, they call it, this must mean something in Thailand that I don't, I don't remember. I, I, it, it, they call it the Mighty Ungawa. So I don't know what that means exactly, but that's what that's called. So it's, a, it's really big. This picture does not give it justice. But we use that for our camp also. It's like a big obstacle course and a swing set and a playground. It's all made with bamboo. There's no screws in it. Or it's all tied and things like that. It's, it's tied together. It's pretty neat. Um, we also have a world race team. I don't know if, you, if any of you are familiar with the world race, but a world race team will come every April and, and assist with our camp, so, which is good because... I'm getting older, and when it's 100 degrees, it's hot. To be, it's really hot to be running around out there. So these, these World Race Team kids are like in their 18, 19, 20. So we're like, go for it. You, you do what you can do, and we'll just tell you you're doing a good job. But we, I mean, we help, but yeah, they're the ones running around. So they're really a godsend. So, so uh, what if you don't have parents? What if you don't have parents, or one is dead, or one is in jail? or you're being raised by your grandparents that already has six other kids, uh, grandkids, and you're hungry and you need clothes and you want to go to school. What if you're a person, what's a person you're living with hates you? Um, what if you're seven or eight years old and you're sold into slavery and you're repeatedly violated, the unthinkable is done to you daily, and you live in a room maybe with 10 other girls that are living the same horrific nightmare? How will you know that God is good? How will you know? And this is, the, this is the risk that our girls, that's, that's why, how they're at risk. Um, we have a couple of our staff members that actually were 
sex slaves. They actually were um, trafficked when they were, they're not old now, they're in their early 20s. So this happened when they were young. Um, they get more than any of us what we're doing and why we do it. So how will you know if God, that God is good? Because others have to tell you. Others have to share with you that, that God is still good, even though those things happen. God is always good. Um, if you've never heard of Jesus, because your country is mostly Buddhist, you have to be told a different way. Let me see what time it is. Okay, I'm going to show this really quick little video. And, you know, probably if I was on TV and you had a remote, you'd be like, mm, I'm done with her because I've heard enough about trafficking. But <laughs> it's only three, it's a little less than three minutes. So I'm going to show this. And then I'm going to close with a, an excerpt from my journal um, from one of my trips. So if you want to go ahead and show that, Amanda. This just gives some stats. I know that you're probably mostly, most of you are familiar with human trafficking. So this is, you know, some of this is, okay, I've, I know this. But I think it's good to every once in a while be reminded because all of those numbers represent people, 
real girls, boys, men, and women that are being trafficked. I know in 2011, when the Lord just continued to put this issue in my face, as I was reading through Proverbs one day, I've read through Proverbs, I don't know how many times, this verse, and I've read this verse, it just totally spoke to me. It's Proverbs 31, 8, 8 through 9. It says, speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are being crushed. Speak up, judge righteous, righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. And I've read that before, but boy, that in 2011 when I read that, it just cut me to the core. And I'm like, that's, I can't keep my mouth shut. I got I to gotta do something. So I'm going to close here um, with a little excerpt from my journal. Um, but I want to, I oh, sorry. I'm so not used to this. <laughs> um, I want to read uh, a quote. Um, this, he's not particularly one of my necessarily favorite people, but I love this quote. It's from JFK. And it says, some men sailed with the wind until that decisive moment in history when events propelled them into the center of the storm. So it is time for us as believers to get out of the boat into the storm. That doesn't mean we have to go to a third world country. I live in the United States. I, I go visit and I do things, but I work from here. That doesn't even mean you have to work full-time missions. It just means wherever God is sending you or telling you to speak to, in the middle of whatever that means, do it. Whatever that means to you, he will place you in places that you're uncomfortable. I've been in way too many to count. Um, and, and he'll do it, but he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will always be with you. And just when I would think, oh, I cannot hear one more story from these kids, um, he, he gives you strength to do what you do, what you need to do, whatever that is. So wherever he calls you to do, um, do it to his glory. So I'm going I'm to close with this um, excerpt from uh, one of my journals from one of my trips. I woke up real early in the morning at 4.30 one morning, and I'm like, if you're like, I don't know, if you're like me, I'm like, oh, my God, I write this down because I will not remember it at 6.30. <laughs> so I had my little iPad, so I started typing my iPad. So this is what I wrote, and it kind of gives, it's just a synopsis of one of my trips. I, it just will kind of give you a little bit of an idea of what I experienced. Uh, in the past few days, I have eaten sticky rice with black beans out of a bamboo stick. I've eaten frog legs and brown rice, drank and eaten after several people besides myself, which if you know me as a nurse, you know, that's gross, I don't ever do that, but I did. Um, I have seen children in Cambodia act as if it were Christmas morning when given a t-shirt, a stuffed animal, and a piece of candy. I've eaten at a table full of food prepared by a family who had taken in 25 street kids in Cambodia and who barely had enough funds to feed those who live under their own roof. Yet in spite of all this, they fixed a huge feast for us and invited all nine of us Americans into their humble dwelling. I have given a peanut butter sandwich, a jelly sandwich to a very old woman who had obviously never had the privilege of seeing a dentist in her life. But she cared enough about the beautiful, hungry, filthy child in her care to openly beg for their lunch. We, she couldn't speak any English, but she was hungry, so I fed her. We fed her. Um, I've looked into the sweet, frightened eyes of that same little girl as I handed her probably the only meal of the day. I've seen the most anorexic cows and buffalo, water buffalo, and I've never seen a buffalo before until I went to Cambodia. Um, and I've, I've seen the most anorexic looking ones in my life over there. I drank from a seriously dirty cup 
floating in a piece of bamboo that was filled with palm tree water, hanging over the shoulders of an elderly woman who talked to me in a dialect I couldn't understand. I didn't get sick. Praise God. I have survived, yeah. Um, I have survived countless games of chicken on the road between Phnom Penh and Batsanbong, and I only freaked out one time inside. I have seen five to six people riding the same scooter, live chickens tied to and covering the roof of a moving van, and chuckled at the thought that PETA would not be pleased, or PETA, whatever it is. They would not have been happy. Um, I have seen cows that wander aimlessly and freely alongside the busy highway and sometimes uh, down the middle of the road um, in the, near a local village near the middle of the road. I have spent an evening with a room full of college students who love to play games and hang with Americans. I have been greeted by a 10-inch lizard above the entrance of our hotel room. I have forgotten to keep my mouth closed in the shower and got water in my mouth. And in Cambodia, we were told, don't get the water in your mouth uh, you know, in the shower. I forgot. I swallowed the water, and I didn't get sick. I did not get sick. Praise God. I brushed my teeth with a water bottle that I share with my daughter-in-law. I've eaten with chopsticks, which I'm not good at, but I didn't go hungry. I've watched my hair dryer glow because the converter did not work. I've also seen every few miles and near every village and every city the most ornately decorated and jeweled temples erected for the purpose of, a, of allowing an already impoverished and destitute people to, in fear, give offerings to a dead and demonic god called Buddha. These beautiful lost people live in grass huts and cardboard shanties, yet they are taught to give to this pagan entity some of what little they're missing. For a dollar at the entrance of a, of a huge Buddhist, gorgeous Buddhist temple, Buddhist temple, I could have bought a bird to set free, and for $10 I could have bought the whole cage of birds to set free. <clears throat> As an offering to a dead man that to this day ironically holds millions of people in these countries in bondage, similar to those small birds in their little wicker prisons. I've watched an old man and also a young girl come to the temple, kneel at the foot of one of hundreds of statues of a dead pagan god that has absolutely nothing to offer these people except false hope and fear. I actually spoke to a man that had, first time ever, uh, that he, he'd never heard the name of Jesus. That was new to me as a little American. That was brand new. Um, and finding out that this is typical over in Asia. I'm oppressed by the sweetness and innocence of the people that live in this country, but I am saddened and very grieved to think that the majority of them are empty and lost. They have no peace or assurance that, that they will live in eternity with the dead God that they're in bondage to. So today, I get to take two flights here from Cambodia to first Bangkok, Thailand, and then up the, the country to Chiang Mai, where we'll meet our driver and drive two hours to spend the rest of our time in Wang Pa Pao, um, Thailand, with some more of God's children who are rescued from a life of slavery. So after spending five days in Cambodia, we arrived in Chiang Mai, and one of the highlights of my trip in Chiang Mai was that, and I, I kind of had to beg my director to do this, I'm like, I want to see a red light district. You know, I was not... Um, I just, I mean, I've watched videos and read all about it, but I wanted to see it firsthand, and, and once was enough. Um, so one of the highlights was, of that trip was we made, a, we made a trip to the red light district in Chiang Mai, and we walked two people on each side of the street. My daughter-in-law and my director were over here, and me and another girl were on this side of the road, and it was uh, a very busy block, okay? My daughter-in-law counted 120 
120, on her side of the road alone, 120 beautiful Asian women <clears throat> on her side of the road that would sell themselves to anyone that would pay. Our hearts broke for these beautiful girls, and as we were halfway through our walk, I can still remember this like it was yesterday, I made eye contact with one of the girls. She, I don't know, it's hard to tell she was, I would say 18 maybe, somewhere around in there, or maybe younger. Um, I made eye contact with her, and when I walked past her, I turned around, and she was still staring at me. And, you know, what do you say to somebody in that situation? I wanted to just grab her and run, is what I wanted to do. Um, I walked back to her, I smiled, I hugged her, I took her hands, and I just told her, I said, Jesus loves you. And I prayed that God would allow her to understand what I was saying. I didn't know, I didn't know what else to say to her. So I told her Jesus loved her. I said, he loves all of you. So our souls embraced for just a moment. Um, like I said, I prayed that miraculously she would understand what I was saying. The four of us met up at the corner, um, and we prayed for those people that we saw on the street. And I, I saw very few Asian men. The, um, I actually, actually, I didn't see any Asian men. Um, the majority of the males I saw were Caucasian. So they were from America and Europe. Um, and it just sickened me to know what they desired. This was not a vacation, but it was a privilege to be part of something so big that I could not, I, I couldn't wrap my mind around what I saw, you know, on that street. And, I, and then I'd already met our girls, and so I couldn't, I pictured our children, our, our, well, we, at that time we didn't have 40, but I pictured our girls on that street. Um, I can't help but think of James, the brother of Christ, and what he says in James 1.27. He says, religion that God our Father finds as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So we currently have 40 girls in Thailand and a new home in Cambodia with six little girls. Um, and it's because people, regular people like us, you, us, give and donate per girl. Um, all these sights and smells and experiences, I couldn't help but wonder, why wasn't I begging for my lunch? Why was I born in America? I don't, why wasn't I living in a hut somewhere uh, and worshiping a dead God? That could have been me. That could, it, it could have been any of us. I have to believe that the Lord has gifted us all with different talents and different passions. And I, I love, I love, if you know me, I love people. I have never met a stranger. My husband gets aggravated. He's like, oh, yeah, they don't even know you. But I love people, and I love to share Christ with people. And I love to share about people who are in need or being treated unfairly. I certainly cannot change the whole world. And that when I start to think that, I'm overwhelmed. I can't change the whole world, but I serve a risen Savior who can and who does. I believe he's placed me in you, right where he wants you, knowing that I won't be able to keep my mouth shut and be quiet about what I've seen, what I've experienced, and knowing that in his power, I will do everything I can to be a voice for those who can't be a voice. And I'll speak on their behalf. If you have any questions, I've got a little cabin over here by the bathroom. I did bring some brochures. Um, I'll just leave those up here, but I've got more brochures at my cabin if you want to find out a little bit more about what we, I mean, I basically told you what we do, but if you have specific questions, please ask me. I'd love to talk about it. I can share more stories about our girls. I have bookmarkers here, too. Feel, feel free to take one. 
and there's a few business cards. I have more at my cabin. So thank you for hearing my heart, um, for listening to me, and um, just asking me to speak. Yeah.